Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. We are finishing up this series, uh, uh, Flip the Switch, where uh, we've been talking, we've been in the book of Ephesians, and we've been talking. Pr- Primarily that Ephesians is divided into two parts. The first part basically talks about identity. And then the second part, there's a big therefore in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, okay, this is who you are. Therefore, live this way is what Paul is basically saying throughout the entire book of Ephesians. There's a few scattered other theological points that he adds to it. But primarily, the overall focus is this is your identity. Therefore, live like it. If this is who you are, then Prove it by how you live, by your behavior, by how you live, right? So that's where we've been. Um, I remember when I was uh, like a, a senior in high school, um, I had just, we had just immigrated to the States, and I'm a senior in high school, and I'm sitting for the very first day in school at this Duncan, ginormous high school called Duncanville High School, very first day. I'm sitting there in my trigonometry class, and I'm sitting in the back like most you know, students that don't know anybody always go sit in the back. So I'm sitting in the back, and, and after the class, the teacher came up to me and said, hey, Ricky, um, uh, can you see the board? She, like, asked me that question. Can you see the board? I'm like, yeah, I see the board. The board's there. Said, no, no, can you read what's on the board? I'm like, well, yeah, and I'm squinting to read, right? I was struggling to read the board. And she goes, have you ever had your eyes checked? You might need glasses. And that was like, okay, wait a minute. I don't wear glasses, Okay. I'm not a four eyes, I'm not one of those kind of people, you know, that's not me, that's kind of the attitude, I didn't say that to her, but that's how I'm thinking, what, are you crazy? So, but she did, she did say, you need to go get your eyes checked, and so I went and got my eyes checked, I'd never been to the eye doctor before at this point, um, so I go get my eyes checked, and sure enough, you know, they put me in front of one of these machines right here, the, it's called the Foropter, that's a cool name for this machine, Foropter, I think that's what it's called, there's a there's an eye doctor in here. He might correct me. But anyways, that's what I think it's called, full rupter. And, uh, uh, and, and you know, you, you ever been to that? You know, going, I, they, 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 test, they test your eyesight and they go, okay, like this or like this. And they flip these things and you're like, and sometimes they, after they do it for some time, it's like, hey, they look the same. You know, they, they look the same. And then, number one, number two, number one, number two. Well, then finally, after about 75 different combination, lens combinations they put up there. Then finally they say, okay, how's this? And they put it all together. And then you look and you're like, whoa, I can see. And I remember that day, that very first day in my life where I could see clearly. I could read signs. I could read everything. And a brand new world had opened up to me. What had happened prior to that is that my life, my eyesight was out of focus. I couldn't see clearly. And I think what Paul is doing here in Ephesians is he's trying to give us some lens to look through so we can focus in on what's really, really important, how we're really supposed to live. Like if this is who you are, if this is your identity, then live that way. Live that way. All right, don't, don't live this double life. Don't live saying you're this, but then acting like that. Come on. Focus in. Be intentional about how you should live. It's not really about effort. It's more about identity. And so he's kind of giving us some new perspective. Um, In verse 15 of chapter 5, this is what he says. He says, be very careful then. So you could, for 
basically the purposes of our, our series and the purposes of Ephesians, you could, prior to be very careful, then say, because of who you are in Christ, okay, like because of who you are in Christ, then be very careful then how you live. All right, because you're a Christian, because you're a follower of Jesus, because your identity is in Christ, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, when I read this passage, honestly, I think there's a little bit of an integrity issue on the part of Paul, it seems like, on the surface, right? Because he says, be careful. Like, he's telling us to be careful, but it's ironic because Paul was never that careful. Like, if, when he tells his own story, like his own history, he says, three times I was shipwrecked. Like, from my experience, if I've been shipwrecked once, I'm never going to get shipwrecked again, ever, because I'll never be on a ship again, right? That's not careful. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. He was beaten with rods. He was, he was uh, stoned nearly to death. I mean, Paul was not careful, and not only that, but Paul brought this on himself because he said, I have to go over there where he would be beaten with rods. I have to go over there where I'm going to end up shipwrecked. And so it seems a little bit ironic that Paul would say to us, be careful. Um, because Paul, you weren't, you weren't careful. So what's Paul trying to tell us here? What's Paul trying to say when he says, be very careful then how you live? I think if you look at this context, he's not talking about avoiding danger. He's not talking about safety. Really, it's, it's a reference to intentionality. It's a reference to paying attention, to concentrate, to focus in. And so maybe another way to say be very careful in how you live is probably this. Be careful not to be too careful. I'm, I probably have to say it again because it doesn't make sense. Be careful not to be too careful. Right? Be careful that... Not to live your life in such a way that you avoid any kind of risk, discomfort, or danger. So that when you get to the end of your life, you're wondering, what did my life stand for in this life? Probably the most dangerous way to live is to live a life where there is no risk at all. There's a, a lady by the name of Eileen Gooder. She's an author, professor, and uh, she's talks about, she's, she talks about this illusion of a safe life, because I think naturally as humans, we, 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 we try, we go after safety, and so she talks about this illusion of a safe life, and she says this, you can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer, drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants in the name of health, go to bed early, stay away from the nightlife, avoid all con controversial subjects so as to never give offense. You can mind your own business, avoid involvement in other people's problems, spend money only on necessities and save all you can, and you can still break your neck getting out of the bathtub. And then she says, and it serves you right. <laughs> well, I didn't say that. She said that, so just so you know, right? In other words, living too carefully is no way to live. So why don't we just start with this? Everything is a risk. Everything is a risk. You stepped out of your house this morning and came to church, and that was risky. I mean, it might be a calculated risk, but it was risky. 
Or you might decide, hey, you know what? I'm not. I'm not going to leave my house. I'm going I'm to stay home. In fact, you might say you're going to stay in bed, but you know what? You might then be one of those half a million people every year that f- go to the ER because they fell out of bed. Everything is risky. So he says, be careful. Be careful to not be too careful. All right? Don't take, he's not telling us to not take risks. He's telling us to be intentional, right? I like, I like what First Thessalonians, Paul is talking, First Thessalonians 5, he's talking about the return of Jesus. And, uh, and typically when we think about the return of Christ, we think of, you know, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all these bad things happening, you know. So Paul is talking about what's the return of Christ going to look like, or at least what it's going to look like right before he comes back, right? And this is what he says in First Thessalonians 5, 2. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, all right, so he, he describes the return of Christ kind of like a thief in the night, like you're not expecting it. Like nobody plans for a thief to show up at their house, right? You're not expecting it. He's going to come like a thief in the night. But then he goes on, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, when we read this passage, honestly, when we read this passage, the whole passage, and most of us, because we're looking through the lens of safety, most of us just like, okay, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this is too much. You know, uh, destruction will come. Upon, you know. But what Paul is trying to tell us is prior to the return of Christ, the mantra, the mentality, the idea, everybody's going to be talking about what? Peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. That's what everybody wants, peace and safety. And he's challenging us that maybe we will get caught up in that trend where everything is about being safe, about having peace in our life, about no challenge, no struggle, no heartache, no risk. And then suddenly Jesus comes back. And then the question is to ask, so what did I do with my life for Christ? I don't know if you understand the warning that Paul is giving here. See, we can be so careful, for example, to never be rejected that you'll never risk connection or relationship. You be so careful to not offend anyone that you never risk speaking the truth in love. And I think what Paul is trying to tell us is that's no way to live. That's no way to live. So the challenge for us here, especially if we're looking through the lens of peace and safety, is am I going to be obedient? Am I going to understand the Lord's will for my life? Am I going to pursue God and live that kind of life instead? And I think this is a really a word for some of us today, especially in context of where we've been for the last couple of years, right? Where everything's now about safety. We're just so concerned, so concerned, so concerned to everything. I can't tell you the number of meetings that I have, organizational meetings or any kind of meeting where we're talking about making some shifts or changes and the topic of safety doesn't come up in those meetings. And so maybe God's challenged some of us here today to risk a little bit, right? So he starts off with be careful, like be very careful, which means be intentional, be focused, be determined, right? That's really what he means there. Then he says, make the most of every opportunity. Now, in our culture, this language, make the most of every opportunity, is kind of like, it's, uh, it's, we're very familiar with this language because we're that kind of culture. The American culture is that kind of culture. We're like a pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, like a carpe diem, you know, seize the day, you know. Even our commercials, look, you watch uh, sports commercials, and it's all about 
just going after it, seizing it, right? Like Nike. What is it? What's the, what's the logo for Nike? Uh, I just forgot. Just do it, right? Just do it. And so this is not unfamiliar language for us. We understand when we say make the most of every day, of every, of every opportunity, we understand that, right? We're clear about that. But what's interesting is that this phrase is interesting because it's, it's not something that really would circle in religious circles as much as it does in economic circles. King James translates, make the most of every opportunity as redeem the time. Redeem the time. So the idea behind this, this word picture that Paul is painting is this, that there's a limited amount of time and there's a limited amount of inventory, therefore you better start buying it up. You can't sit around and wait, wait around, you just gotta get busy, you've gotta get active, you've gotta do something, all right? Because there's a limited amount of time, there's a limited amount of inventory, you have to purchase it, you have to buy it, right? I saw this game show uh, recently, it's called uh, Supermarket Sweep, I'd never seen this before, and evidently it's like a remake from a 70s game show, I'd never seen that one either, so, but this one, I, I came across it, and the reason I stopped was because I like this lady, Leslie Jones. She's kind of funny, comedian, kind of wacky kind of person. <clears throat> and, I, and I didn't really know about her until she, there was some commercial she was doing, some other commercials, and that's where I saw her for the first time. But anyways, the, the idea behind this, this uh, game show is that you have these three teams of two couples, and uh, they can be related to each other, and then they, they answer questions. And so they answer a variety of different questions, and as they answer questions, they get more questions right, they get more time, and they get more money to then go shopping in this, in this grocery store. That, that's the set where they're at. It's like a grocery store. And so they get more time, more money to ask all these questions. I only saw one episode, and it had like a pink team, a yellow team, and a red team. And they all had these t-shirts, different color t-shirts. And, uh, and my, from my estimation, the pink team was a lot better than the yellow team. Because when... They answer all these questions, they collect their money, they, collect, they get all the time, and then they are, this buzzer goes off, and then they just, it's a mad rush to shop, right? And so uh, the, 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 the yellow team, you know, the buzzer went off, and they, instead of, like, you know, going after expenses, they're, like, picking flowers, you know, out of the flower section of the grocery store, and the other person on the team was over there going through condiments, you know, and the pink team, on the other hand, man, they, they, it was two guys. They wasted no time. One guy went straight to the, to the meat, and he was loading up on expensive steaks and slabs of ribs, and he was just throwing it all in there. The other guy went to the, the, the cookware area, and he had, you know, entire cookware, expensive stuff, loading in, in, the, in the thing. Now, what you did not see in this show was when the buzzer went off that, you know, they're just kind of like mosey around, just browsing, looking at their Instagram. That, that's not what they were doing. They were maniacs. They were going after it. And I think sometimes, and I think this is really what Paul is trying to talk about, that there's stuff in this life that we need to do, and we don't have time to just sit around, right? We don't have time for that. We've got to get moving. In fact, there are things that God has you on this earth for that have eternal consequences. And so when Paul says, make the most of every opportunity, don't sit around and squander the opportunities that you have in front of you. I, I believe was what Paul's trying to tell us. I think but most of us tend to think that, you know, we live with this idea that I've got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time. And then there's this subtle shift that takes place for people, and I see this as a pastor often, is it goes from being I still got plenty of time to it's too late for me. It goes from I'll get to it someday to 
I've lost my, opportun- my opportunity. Somewhere in, the, in, in between, it was all about peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. <clears throat> so Paul's challenging us in a very prophetic way today to make the most of every opportunity. I like how, how King David, David's prayer in Psalm 90, verse 12, it says this, teach us to number our days, Lord, that we may gain the heart of wisdom. Lord, will you teach me to number my days? Because David says it that way because I think it's something we have to be taught. I don't think we naturally do this. I think when we're born, and especially when we're in our 20s and 30s, we think we have eternity in front of us. We think we have all the time in the world. So we need to be taught to number our days, to know that there's eternal consequences to how we use our days. I don't know. I've been around people that have been on their deathbed, and it's interesting that um, when they're on their deathbed, they're, they're, they're on their deathbed, or maybe they're terminally ill and they're, they know they're, they're going there. Um, it's interesting, those people have clear perspective of time, unlike any of us. Like you can ask questions and they don't want to waste time on trivial, trivialities and, you know, their priority list has shrunk from 100 things to two. Or three, like family, God, they're numbering their days, right? So Paul's kind of giving us a different lens to look through, a lens that helps us number the limited time that we have. What he's saying is that wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever conversation you have, it's not wasted time. It's not wasted time. You need to make the most of it. On your commute to work, and you have a 30-minute commute to work, and you might think, well, I'm just blowing those 30 minutes. That's not a waste of time. Make the most of that time. Listen to a podcast. Put on some worship music that we sing here and just sing along with that. Make a phone call, an, an intentional phone call to someone you need to have a conversation with. You have 30 minutes. Make the most of every opportunity. So how do I make the most of these opportunities um, we're going to look at three different lens shift that I think Paul really is alluding to here in this passage. The first one is this. We need to shift from looking through temporary lens to looking through eternal lens. We need to shift from looking th- through temporary lens to looking through eternal lens. Now, here's, the, here's the, the assumption I'm making, that most of us, we're buying into this idea that we're going to make the most of every, of, 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 of every opportunity, right? But to do that, we need to shift from temporary lens to eternal lens. We need to look at things differently because you, if I say to you, make the most of, of every opportunity, you're thinking about your job, you might think, well, that's a, that's a climb the career ladder. You know, that's a, I need a raise. I need a, you know, I need to find different types of employment. That's how you might think if you think of make the most of every opportunity in that context. But if you look through eternal lens, it's a completely different perspective. When I look through eternal lens about my work, my work may be a little bit easier because I'm a pastor, <laughs> but when I look through eternal lens of my work, then I'm thinking, I need to honor God with the work that I do. The work product needs to bring glory to God. The conversations that I have with colleagues at work and the, you know, the, the, the way I 
portray myself at work. I need to glorify God with that. And that's beginning to look at my work, my job, through not temporary lens, but through eternal lens. Or maybe consider your money. Like when I say to you, make the most of every opportunity when it comes to your money. I mean, if you're looking at your money through temporary lens, I mean, you're probably thinking about your portfolio, your investments, what kind of position you're going to be in when you retire. Will, you, will that mean a boat on a lake? Will that mean a second house in Arizona? Now, I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm not, not at all. But if that's all we do is we only look through those temporary lens, that's what we'll see. But if I say make the most of every opportunity you think through eternal lens when it comes to your money, then you're thinking, God, you have given me these resources. How can I use them for your glory? How can I leave a legacy behind of something that's eternal in nature rather than temporary in nature? Will you use me that way? Another lens that we, can, that we need to shift is we need to shift from looking through obstacle lens to opportunity lens. Like if I say to you, make the most of every opportunity, you might think, this is, if you're like me, you might think, well, man, yeah, I do want to make the most of that opportunity, but man, there's so many obstacles. <laughs> it's so challenging. It's so hard. And oftentimes, we, we, we allow the difficulty of something, the hardship of something, to basically pull us away from it. We, it's, it convinces us not to make the most of that opportunity because it was just hard. It's just difficult. It's challenging. There's people I have to deal with that I just don't want to have to deal with. Whatever. There's all kinds of reasons why we, 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 we turn off the, the, the opportunity because it's just difficult. There's an obstacle in front, in front of us. What Paul kind of models, what Paul models for us is, though, is that in opposition, there actually comes greater opportunity. In opposition, there actually comes great opportunity. In verse 16 of Ephesians 5, he says this, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, this makes more sense. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are easy. Right? You have opportunities. It's easy. Because the days are, cal are calm or soft or, 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 you know, comfortable. So it doesn't make any sense, right? See what Paul is telling us here is that the darker the things come, the more opportunity we have to shine for Jesus Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul's his life was an example of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he's writing to a church in Corinth. Uh, he's writing from Ephesus. So he's writing to the Corinthians, but he's writing from the city of Ephesus. Okay, that's where he's at. And he's talking about some of the obstacles that he's facing in Ephesus. Look what he says. I will stay on, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me. A great door for effective work has opened to me. Like, I have opportunities. I'm going to make the most of those opportunities. And then he goes on to say, and there are many who oppose me. Like, as a pastor, that's not how I want it to work. As a pastor, I want a great door for effective work has opened to me because people love me. Because I have plenty of resources and, and, you know, everything's going great. I have a great door of opportunity because I preached last Sunday. They like my sermon, so I'm going to stay. See, but what Paul is pointing out here that in opposition, like when, Paul's like when Paul recognizes there's opposition, he's like, yes, I've got to stay here now because there's opposition and because there's an opportunity that God has for me in this place. 
One last lens shift that we need to look at is we need to shift from looking through complacency lens to intentionality lens. <clears throat> and shift from looking from, through complacency lens to intentionality lens. Like you might say it this way, through complacency lens to urgency lens. Urgency lens. You see, I just, I just know that sometimes it's easy to get into this routine of a complacent life. Like for, after a while, we just get tired of fighting, right? So you get tired of just working and hard, and it's just hardship, and you just, you just get tired. So you just, you find what is the most easiest life to kind of navigate. And we find our rhythm in that life, and we feel good about it, and we just kind of go with it. And what we don't realize is suddenly we become, we're complacent in that life. And that's kind of how we live. And I think Paul's trying to wake us up from that. Somehow or another, we have to, we need to make the most of every opportunity means fighting against distractions, fighting against discouragement, fighting against things that will keep us not risk-free. So how do we do that? Well, verse 17 says, therefore, Paul's saying, do not be foolish, okay? Like, I want you to make the most of every opportunity, but don't be foolish, but, inst- but uh, instead, you can add like an instead right here, but instead, understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what the Lord's will is. How do I make the most of every opportunity? By understanding what the Lord's will is for my life. Do you consciously ask yourself, God, what is your will for my life? Like, like on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be every day, but like, like when you're buying a house, for example, has it crossed your mind that maybe God has a purpose and a will for your life? Or are you going to choose the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with? Is it possible that maybe it's good to understand the Lord's will for your life? Career, I can go on and on and on. You see, it's important that we navigate this way our lives because it's not my will. It's his will that I want to follow. It's there, it's there where, I, where I will be able to make the most of every opportunity. Now, I realize I'm saying, asking God for his will, you've probably prayed for that spouse, you've probably prayed for that job, you've probably prayed about that house, and you say to me, I don't know, Rich. I don't know how to know whether this is God's will or not. I don't know. In verse 18, it's interesting, because Paul throws, it feels like it's completely out of place. Listen to what he says. Do not get drunk. Okay, verse 17. Let me go back to 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's will is. Immediately after that, he says, do not get drunk on wine, because that will ruin your life. Okay. <laughs> that seems totally out of place, right? Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I argue that this, there's a connection between this and understanding the Lord's will. I can't know the Lord's will on my own. I need the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting, he makes this contrast. He kind of does this juxtaposition between getting drunk on wine and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I read this verse. When I first read this verse, I'm like, I don't get it, Paul. Why are you throwing this in there? It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, have you ever asked yourself, are you able to make the most of every opportunity when you're drunk on wine? Some of you might be like, yeah. (laughs) Um, But most of the time, when this happens, we mess up our opportunities, right? 
And so Paul's putting this contrast between being drunk on wine and instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. I did some research on why people get drunk. And it, wasn't, it wasn't experimental research, by the way. It was reading research. But reasons why people get drunk, get drunk here's one, gives me confidence. That one says reduces anxiety, stress, and fear. Like uh, confidence because, well, you know, I've, I, I'm, I'm, I'm timid, I'm afraid, I don't really want it, so I'm just, I need it and it will give me confidence. Anxiety, I'm anxious about something, I'm feeling stress, I'm feeling fear about making some decisions, and so maybe drinking a little bit kind of loosens that up. It helps me cope with life's problems. Maybe you have this ongoing issue, circumstance in your life, and, it's just, and you just need it to help you cope. It gives me a sense of relief, another person said. Like somehow you can forget a few things when... You drink and get drunk. I don't know if you see it. Do you see it? Getting drunk comforts me. It gives me courage. Who else wants to do that for you? The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you and give you confidence. The Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you and reduce your anxiety and reduce the stress and fear in your life. Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you, help you cope with problems, especially if they're really big problems and you feel like powerless, I can't do anything about it. The Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you and give you a sense of relief when the pressure's been on, the pressure's been on, the pressure's been on. It's the Holy Spirit that really wants to come alongside you and do that. So maybe what Paul is trying to tell us here, the contrast he's trying to tell us here is don't be out of control, which is what happens when we're drunk, but instead be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, we will understand what the Lord's will is and we will be able to make the most of every opportunity. That word opportunity is an interesting word as well. Uh, Let's go back to that verse where it shows making the most of every opportunity, if you don't mind. Sorry for throwing that in there. This word opportunity right here is an interesting word because it's in, in the Greek, it's the word time, like time, okay? And that's why King James in, translates redeem the time, right? This word opportunity means time, but in the Greek, there's three words for time. There's one word, ora, H-O-R-A, which is interesting because that in Spanish means hour, okay? So this one Greek word is the hour, right? Another word is chronos, you Greek is chronos, where we get the word chronological. It literally means chronological or in order of. So it's a systematic kind of linear kind of way of thinking of time. But then the last one is kairos. And that's an appointed and anointed moment. And which one do you think Paul's talking about here? Kairos. An appointed and anointed moment. And I think when Paul tells you make the most of every opportunity, it means that he's navigating you through life and he's giving you opportunities, anointed and appointed times, moments of opportunity. And the question is, will you make the most of it? When I says to stand, we're going to pray here in a second. <clears throat> and I realize that some of you are here and you're like, Rich, I, maybe I'm not following where you're going with this, but here's what I think. There's a couple things that I feel like the Lord's kind of laid on my heart for today for us is um, there's some of you in this room that you're risk adverse, and that's okay. I mean, I think we need to be conscientious of 
danger in our lives and make sure that we, you know, protect ourselves from danger in a, by and large. But when that results in fear, when that results in uh, negative movement, when it results in uh, apathy and just basically pulling back, isolating, then I think the Lord is challenging us this morning to start taking some risks. Start taking some risks for Him. Maybe it means a conversation with somebody you need to have a conversation with, but He wants you to step out and just be a little bit risky and have that conversation. I don't know. The other thing is this idea of appointed time, appointed and anointed time. Uh, I think that there are some, some people in this room that you're not here today by accident. You didn't just here show up today and was like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go to church and that's it. Maybe that's how you thought. But you're here because it's an appointed and anointed time for you to be here. It is a Kairos moment. And I'm asking you to not leave this place without asking God to come into your life, to transform your heart, to make you a new person, to be a better husband, be a better wife, to be a better student, a better employee, whatever it might be that you're wrestling with, you're here by design. Amen.